Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. We're going to continue our series in the book of Joseph. And uh, we're just in our fourth installment this week. And we're going to kind of get into uh, some of the, the crazy stuff that Joseph experienced when he got into the palace with Potiphar. And uh, last week we talked about the idea that God wants to prosper you. And Joseph got into this really difficult circumstance. He was sold into slavery. He, his brothers wanted to kill him. All sorts of crazy things happened to him. He was randomly thrown into a pit, uh, sold into slavery. And here we see that, uh, that Joseph is now purchased by Potiphar. And while he's in Potiphar's house, all he does is serve. He uh, continues to be a man of integrity. Uh, he learned how to honor his, uh, his employer. And you'll notice throughout the scripture, God blessed Joseph. God prospered Joseph. And last week we talked about just the idea that God wants to prosper you and some of the ways for you to live a life that, that God will prosper. How God wants to push you forward. And we talked a little bit about uh, what it takes to uh, live that kind of a life. And so today we're going to talk about something a little more specific. And uh, this story actually takes a very interesting focus point on the life of Joseph. And, um, and, you know, things are starting to pick up for Joseph. And things were going well. And then out of nowhere, something happened. The enemy started his plan to derail Joseph. The fulfillment of God's dream for our life will require an awareness of the enemy's scheme and a strategy of our own to conquer him. As we talk today just about this very specific uh, happening, this, this, this very specific circumstance where Joseph was headed down the right track. Things were going good for Joseph. As I mentioned, God was prospering Joseph. He now was kind of the, the, the number one guy, the second in command in uh, the prison in, the, in, in Potiphar's house. Who, he was actually the chief executioner. And so Potiphar was the one who would cut off people's heads when Pharaoh snapped his fingers to have someone executed. So this wasn't the kind of guy that you wanted to mess with. This wasn't the kind of guy that you wanted to tick off. But somehow in this journey, who knows, we don't really know how other than the fact that Joseph served in a mighty way. He served in a, a large capacity in that house. And so he was blessed. And so today uh, we want to look a little bit at this circumstance and, and kind of understand a little bit more what it took for Joseph to really experience the journey towards his destiny. Uh, the things he had to encounter, the things he had to experience. We talked about uh, the things God worked, to, uh, worked on him in the field, and God worked on him in the pit, and God blessed him with prosperity. And now we're going to talk a little bit about some things that, that might derail you on your journey. We can get into the place of blessing and prosperity, and there's really only two ways that you can be derailed on your journey towards the destiny and the purposes of God for your life. The first one is the enemy. The enemy has, uh, we call him the devil, Satan. If you're new here today and you're listening to this saying, who the heck is the enemy? Who the heck is the devil? Uh, he's kind of like, uh, he's kind of like a, uh, an angry uh, stepmother or uh, uh, an angry uh, mom-in-law. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, it's, he's like this, um, this, this person who uh, wants to attack you. He wants to skill, skill, steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. Uh, this is the enemy of your soul. There's a God and there's a devil. There's a, a spiritual light and there's spiritual darkness. And we believe that there is an enemy that is out to, to derail us from serving God and experiencing the blessings that God have for our lives. So the only really two ways you can be derailed is firstly, as I mentioned, the devil, Satan. 
The second area in which uh, we can be derailed is by ourselves, by the decisions that we make, that the, the temptations that we get into in making bad decisions based on the temptation or the challenges that we're put in, we make decisions. And those decisions that you and I make alter the course of our reality. They alter the course of our life. God can help us with both of these things. And you have to know that he has destroyed the power of the enemy in your life. And he's giving you the ability to make good choices when you're faced with hard circumstances in your life. You have to understand that the enemy wants to take you off track. We look back at Joseph's life. We see, man, this guy's kind of had a tough day. He didn't even know why, but he got thrown into a pit. He didn't know why, but he got pulled out and sold into slavery. He doesn't know why, but for some reason Potiphar chose to purchase him. And he doesn't know why, but he's serving uh, in, in, a, in, in the human trafficking slave trade. He doesn't know what's going on. This guy has had a really, really bad day. But at, finally, after all of this, as I mentioned, Joseph began to experience some real prosperity in his life. Joseph began to have an upside. Joseph began to experience that. And we can see this in Genesis 39. We're going to read our key text this morning in verses, uh, verses 1 to 6. And it says this, When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, and he put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was, was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Pot, uh, the Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food he was going to eat. Okay, so yes, he got thrown into a pit. And yes, his brothers hated him. And yes, his brothers wanted to murder him. And yes, he got into, sold into human trafficking. And yes, he got purchased by uh, Potiphar. But now, God is busting Joseph. Things are going pretty good. There's a upswing to this. Things are looking pretty, you know, I don't know why this happened. I don't know why I got thrown in a pit. I don't know why my life has come to this point, but now I'm experiencing promotion. Now I'm having uh, strides in my marriage. Things are going good in my marriage and things are going good in my finances and I'm having the right attitudes and the right perspectives in life. And man, things are starting to really figure out for themselves. I'm feeling really good about life. Man, that, that house I bought is, is making equity and that business I started is being blessed and that that, that relationship I started is really flourishing. Man, things are starting to look up. Things are starting to look really, really good. Things are starting to be like top of mountain experience. This is getting good. Man, I eat well. I sleep well. I have a beautiful home. Things are good. Life is good. Life is good. Whenever this happens, you should always anticipate that there may be an interruption on your journey. You know, I, I sometimes wonder whenever things are going really well in my life, you know, whenever things are just kind of like at peace, I always kind of, maybe this is just my kind of negative perspective and maybe you don't think like this, you're better than I am, but I start to kind of think, man, like things are really good, something bad's going to happen. I start to think, man, things are really, really good. I start to think, oh, what's going to come around the corner? Is like something's going to go wrong? Or I, I kind of have this thought of that. I don't know if you do, but maybe you're, you're happier than that. I'm more positive. You think, man, life's good no matter what. And that's fantastic. But I tend to think, man, when things are going really good, 
there's going to be an interruption. And in Joseph's life, there was an interruption. Things were going well, and out of nowhere, something took him off guard. All of a sudden, things got challenging. All of a sudden, things got hard. All of a sudden, things got difficult in his life. Don't you hate it when that happens? Everything in life is good, and all of a sudden, something happens. You know, fight with your wife. Uh, investment falls apart. You maybe were doing well in the area of purity, and then you fail. Or, or maybe you were doing good in your attitude, and then you made a mistake. Or maybe you hadn't had a drink in a very long time, and then you gave in. But all of a sudden, things got really, really challenging on your journey when things were good. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 9.45 on a Sunday morning or on a Tuesday afternoon, something happens, and all of a sudden, it went from really good to really challenging. This is what happened to Joseph. It says in Genesis uh, 3, 7 to 9, Joseph, I'm sorry, Genesis 39, 7 and 9. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. <laughs> and Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph. She began to plan. She began to strategize. She began to consider. She began to think about how she could be with Joseph because she found him so attractive and he worked so hard and he was so blessed and so successful and so prosperous. She began to strategize. She began to dress more provocatively and she started making excuses to stay home where Joseph was and she started requesting more time with Joseph to come and help her and she started planning Joseph's ruin. Every time you begin to take a major step toward the destiny of God for your life, this is what happens. The enemy sets up a Potiphar's wife in your life to tease you, to entice you, to tempt you, to cause your life to be a living hell. Now, this enemy says things are going really good for this person. They're really beginning to serve the Lord. Their marriage is really starting to go well. Their finances are starting to really pan out. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to begin to strategize. I'm going to begin to scheme. I'm going to begin to figure this thing out so that they will not fulfill the destiny of God on their life. Do you want to know why your enemy does this? Because your enemy hates you. Your enemy despises you. Your enemy does not want you to fulfill the thing God has for your life. The, the devil, the enemy, the, 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 the bad person, the, 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 dark, the dark spirit, the, maybe even the, the, the dark side of the universe for your perspective. You say, man, like, I don't understand this Satan thing or this, this God thing, but I, I understand what you mean by bad karma or this bad sense in my heart. I'm, you might understand that, but what that is is the enemy of your soul who wants to destroy you. And every single time things go good, Satan begins begins to play out his strategy to derail you. This is proven all throughout Scripture. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. Ephesians 6, 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are, we are familiar with his evil schemes. 
The Bible teaches very clearly in the scripture that the devil has a strategy. And do you want to know when he plays out that strategy? Do you want to know when he calls the commanders of his armies and says, okay, let's move in? It's when things start going well in your life. The enemy has a strategy. The enemy wants to attack you. The enemy wants to steal from you. The enemy wants to kill you. That is the strategy of the enemy. And remember, God wants to prosper you. We learned about that last week. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to give you favor. God wants your marriage to be whole. God wants your purity to be right. God wants your finances to be blessed. God wants to prosper you. But that also means the devil wants to destroy you. And just like God has a plan and a dream and a destiny for your life, Satan has a plan and a dream and a destiny for your life. Don't be naive to the reality of the evil one in your life. He has a strategy to derail you. And often, I find that in our world today, it's actually really interesting all throughout Scripture, probably from the beginning of the page to the end of the page, the entire book of the Bible. All of Scripture teaches about one major area in which the devil attacks us, especially in our culture today, but all throughout Roman culture and all throughout cultures from years, millennial past, this has been one of the biggest challenges and strategies of the enemy. And that area is the main strategy of the devil is in the area of sexual sin. This area of sexual sin isn't just something that's for the person here, but not the person there, or, or the person in the front row, or in the back row, or, and not the person in the front row, or vice versa. It's not just like one person in the room is tempted in the area of sexual sin. The area of sexual sin is one of the main strategies of the devil to derail his people, to derail families and churches and marriages. The area of the strategy of sexual sin is clear throughout the story of Joseph. And it's very interesting to me in this verse that this, this is a woman lusting after a man. Often we categorize the men as lusting after the women, and, and in most cases, that's where the large uh, majority of the struggle can be. But in this story, it's very interesting to me that the, the devil was so smart that he tried to send a woman after Joseph. He knew that Joseph was such a man of, of integrity, and he knew that Joseph was such a man of favor, that he, he knew that Joseph probably was working hard to be a man of purity and a man of righteousness as best as he could. And so he knew that the only way to get his intention was to blatantly put this opportunity and temptation right in his face. I find that very intriguing and interesting. In verse 7, it says, Come and sleep with me. She demanded... It's almost like she was taking authority over Joseph, saying, I'm your, I'm your boss's wife. Like, I have authority over you. You need to do what I tell you to do. And this is what the enemy's strategy is. He wants us to think that we don't have the capacity or the authority or the power to stand up against his schemes. He wants us to think that he has authority over us, when in reality, we have authority over him. I find it very interesting that this woman tried to tempt Joseph. And Joseph immediately identified it. Again, in the scripture in verse 8 to 9, Joseph refused. He said, look, <laughs> my master trusts me with everything. No one here has more authority than I do. And I'm not allowed to touch you. You're the only thing that I don't have privy over. You're the only thing that I don't have authority over. You are his. Listen, this would be a wicked thing, a major sin against God. Notice Joseph identifies sexual sin was a great wickedness against God. He blatantly looked at the temptation of the devil and said, this is a great sin against God. This is a great wickedness. I refuse. 
You need to understand something today that, that sexual morality or sexual sin is not just this, this thing that people do. It is a great sin against God. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this today to help you understand that there is freedom in Christ. There is authority in Christ to overcome any sexual sin that you might be facing as a man or a woman today. I come from experience knowing that God can give you the authority to look the devil in the square in the face and say, I refuse. This is a great way wickedness against God. And don't be deceived. Sexual sin is not only a sin outside of your body, but it is a sin on the inside of your body. Solomon taught it. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. And we have to understand that in this day and age, one of the major attacks of the enemy is in the area of sexual sin. You understand impurity actually does infect you, uh, affect you. Sexual impurity affects your family. Sexual impurity affects your faith. Sexual impurity will affect your future. When Joseph faced sexual uh, impurity and temptation um, from, from, from Potiphar, you have to know that the, the, the devil, Satan, was actually saying, come on, man, you're a slave. Like, you were thrown into this mess. Like, it, doesn't your life suck? I mean, you haven't been near your family forever, and, and God totally abandoned you. Didn't he abandon you, leaving you in that pit? Isn't it terrible that God would allow you to be a slave in this foreign land? Come on, man, just indulge a little bit. Come on, you need to cope with all the pain you've been experiencing. Come on, be okay with it. Don't even worry. It's not a big deal. It's not that big of an issue. Come on, you have all the authority in the house anyways. Just go ahead and have her too. What does it really matter? See, the enemy wants to come and he wants to begin to tell us that, that it's okay. And you need to understand something. The only person, listen, the only person that can thwart God's plan or destiny for your life is you. The devil can't control you. God chooses not to control you. You have free will. The only person that can thwart God's plan or destiny for your life is you. And Joseph could have thwarted the destiny of God for his life. Joseph could have thwarted the purposes of God for his future. He could have thwarted it, thwarted it and, and, and stopped it in that one very moment of decision. He had to look the enemy in the strategies of the enemy in the eye and say, I refuse. And it says that Potiphar's wife began to look at him lustfully. Very interesting how the Bible very clearly identifies that she looked at him. In her mind's eye, she began to look at Joseph lustfully. Impurity begins in the eye. Lust is empowered by looking. It's an appetite of the flesh. This is how sexual impurity begins. It begins in your eye. Many people believe that sexual impurity begins in your heart, but it doesn't. It begins in your eye. It begins on what you look at. Begins on what you allow yourself to see. In Matthew chapter 5, 28, it says, But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust, or a man looks at a, a or, I'm sorry, a woman looks at a man with lust, has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. So here it's saying you didn't even do anything. You didn't actually go out and sleep with that girl at the gym or that guy at that restaurant or that person at your job. You didn't even sleep with them yet, but you've been looking at them. I know in my own life, I've actually had to choose to go to different coffee shops. That's why I go to A&W, guys, <laughs> because there's just a bunch of old people there. <laughs> the reality is that's one of the main reasons I go there. There's not a single cool person on the planet that's going to be found dead eating an A&W uh, and studying there, and there's nothing but old people there. And uh, old by old, I mean 80 plus, 85 years old plus. 
That's why I go to the coffee shop near my house because it's the same people that go there because I know that if I position myself to not look, I won't be challenged to look. I can focus. I can stay focused in on what I'm doing at the moment, especially when I'm studying God's word. It starts with your eye. Jesus gives you progression. A look leads to lust, and according to Scripture, leads to adultery in your heart. So you might think, well, I never did anything with that girl, but I never, like, I never, I never went there with that guy or that person at work. We, like, we never went there physically, but man, if your eyes have been looking and, and, and lusting, then in your heart, according to Scripture, there is a wickedness there, there is a sin there that is called adultery. And I know that's heavy to say, but listen, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this because I believe God wants to help you. God wants to set you free if you're here today struggling with sexual sin in your life. We must guard our eyes. Let's look at Scripture. Let's let Scripture reiterate our point. Psalms 101.3. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. I hate all who deal crookedly, and I will have nothing to do with them. Job 31.1, look at this, Job 31.1, which theologians and scholars believe was the first book written in the Bible, the first in our chronological order. This is what Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Wow. Even from the very first book written. Matthew 6.22, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. It says that the eye is a lamp of the body. So your eye enables you to find your way. Your eye directs your life. Your eye guides how you walk in life. It guides how you step, how you walk, where you move. The eye is how we're able to process things and we see things and we understand things. And ultimately, we work towards what we see with our eyes. So if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The word healthy there is a really interesting word. The word healthy there is the word, the Greek word haplos. It actually means single. So it says if your eyes are single, so the single eye, the focus of a single eye is a metaphor for a life that is completely devoted to God. The root word means to be complete. It means to be perfect. It means to be undivided in my loyalty. So when it says when your eye is healthy, when your eye is single, Paul uses the same kind of reference in 1 Corinthians 7.35. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul is talking about being single. He's actually encouraging people, saying, listen, marriage is really hard work. If you're single, don't despise it. Embrace it because you can be single. You can be focused. You can be undivided in your attention on God. So when Jesus here is saying, let your eye be healthy, he's saying, let your eye be single focused. If you read the description of an elder or a deacon in 1 Timothy, where Paul says, in both scriptures, he says, he says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, he says, be a one woman man. One woman man. That actual Greek word in that scripture actually would mean one woman like your eyes are only for one woman. It implies that your eyes are only for one person. This has really helped me in my understanding when it comes to the areas of lust or the areas of things like that. I've realized in my journey that if I can just remember that I only have one woman to look at in that way, it eliminates my possibility of looking at anybody else. Every time I'm even tempted to, I remember, well, my eyes only for one woman, so why even look in the first place? 
The scripture here is teaching that in order for your life to be healthy, in order for your heart to be healthy, in order for your marriage to be healthy, in order for your faith to be healthy, your eyes must have a single focus. And if you're a woman here today and you're married to a man, your eyes must be only for that man. Vice versa, man, only for that woman. That is the one woman you are allowed to look at that way. A one man you're allowed to look at that way. One person. And we need to blow out a major lie of the devil today. As long as you don't transgress, as long as you don't step over the line, as long as you don't physically do it, it's not going to affect your family. It's not going to affect your, your faith. It's not going to affect your, your, your future. Even though you allow it in your mind, whether it may be pornography or maybe it's just lusting or it's impure things, even though you didn't actually physically do it, it won't impact your life. That is a lie of the devil. Whenever the Bible talks about sin, it's talking about inward and outward. The word transgress, when seen throughout Scripture, is the idea of an outward movement. So a transgression, it means to step over the line. The word, the word iniquity, used often in Scripture, is the inward bent or motivation towards sin. So transgression means that you are stepping over a line physically. Iniquity is you are stepping over a line internally. But you have to know something. Jesus actually died for those very two things. In Isaiah 53, 5, look what it says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds were healed. Pierced for our outward sin and crushed for our inward sin. So not only the inside, but the outside, Jesus died for both. Okay, so we understand now that this is a great wickedness against God. And then it doesn't just start by you actually sleeping with your girlfriend or sleeping with your, uh, someone else. or uh, It doesn't just start with the external. It starts with the internal. Just the first look is a step towards a journey or a path or a sliding down path of something you don't want for your life. So we need to go back to that very first thing is we need to begin to guard our eyes. But if you're here today and maybe you're dealing with an area of sexual sin, man and woman, maybe it's pornography. Maybe you've been sleeping with uh, someone outside the context of marriage. Maybe you uh, have been lusting or maybe you've been uh, emotionally uh, committing to someone. Whatever the sexual sin might be, whatever that might be in your life right now, internal or external. Listen, I have some great news for you today. I want to give you actually just three ways for you to overcome this, uh, this strategy of the devil, uh, the area of sexual sin. Three very easy uh, strategies that we can have against the enemy. The first one is this. Confess your sin to God and he'll forgive you. <laughs> Plain and simple. If you confess your sin to God, he will forgive you. Look at the scripture. Psalms 51, 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Look at this. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Notice what that verse says in Psalms 51, verse 4. Who, do, who have you sinned against? You haven't sinned against your spouse. You haven't sinned against anyone else. First and foremost, the Bible, David here says, man, God, I've sinned first and foremost against you. I know that my sin and my transgression is before me. And God, I know that first and foremost, I have sinned against you. See, the very interesting thing about Psalms 51 is that Jesus, or, I'm sorry, David had just committed adultery. 
He committed adultery. He tried to get her husband drunk. And then he ended up killing her husband. So he committed three incredibly terrible sins and crimes. Uh, and he actually was unrepentant after that. He didn't tell anybody. And he held it in his life for almost an entire year until finally Nathan the prophet came to him and called him out on the carpet and said, you've got sin in your life. You need to repent of it. And that's when David wrote Psalms 51 and said, God, your sin is only before me. But listen, then he wrote Psalms 32 after he wrote Psalms. Psalms 51. Actually, the chronological order of Psalms 32 is actually after Psalms 51. And look what he says in Psalms 32, verse 1 to 2 and verse 5. Oh, what joy for those whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. When you confess your sin with a sincere heart to God and you recognize that that it is a great wickedness before the Lord, He will forgive you. And it says, notice it says, finally I confess my sin. Finally, I confess my sin to you. He said, I said to myself, I'm going to confess my sin. He was having a conversation with himself. It's almost like the state of mind. He was like, listen, he says, I've been frustrated and I've been, I've been feeling disconnected and I've been feeling guilty and I don't know how to connect with my wife and I feel distant from God and I want to continue on this journey. But I said to myself, you know what? I need to confess my sin before the Lord. It was a state of mind where he made a conscious personal decision that I'm going to confess my sin before the Lord. And guess what? Verse eight, look what verse eight says. Psalm 32, verse eight. The next verse is down. The Lord, the Lord, says. So there's a confession of sin. And then the Lord talks to David. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Who said that? God said that. David repented of his sin And God said, oh, fantastic. Okay, now I'm going to lead you. Now I'm going to guide you. Now I'm going to protect you. Now I'm going to go before you. Now I am going to guide you along the best pathway for your life. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. No matter what you've done today, no matter what mistake you've been made internally or externally, God will forgive you if you confess your sin to him. The second thing that you need to do to get free from sexual sin in your life. First thing, confess to God. Secondly, you need to confess to your spouse. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen, it's easier to forgive lust than it is to forgive lies. Say that again. It's easier to forgive lust than it is to forgive lies. 1 John 1.6. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Lying is deception. 
Matthew 6, 23. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's saying your eye, if it's unhealthy, if it's not single focused, if it's focused on so many other things and have so many other cluttered things in your life, it says, man, that darkness really grows to be pretty big. That deception begins to rule in your life. You know, lying is something that all throughout the Bible, whenever you talk about a man of integrity or a man of righteousness or a woman of integrity or a woman of unrighteousness, it all comes down to false, falsely speaking or lies. Look at this in Proverbs 30, 7 and 8. It says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. So God, I just want two things. The first thing he says is, first, help me never to tell a lie. <laughs> yeah, Solomon, I only want two things. The first one's about lying, and the second, one, second one's about money. Help me never to tell a lie. Look at this, John 3. This is the reason Jesus came. Verse 19. This is the crisis we're in. God light streamed into the world, but men and women everywhere ran for darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil addicted to denial and illusion hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But... Anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. Those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those who want to be healed by God, come into the light and say, okay, God, not only do I confess to you, but I'm going to confess my sin to each other. If you're here today and you're struggling with sexual impurity or sexual sin, whatever it is, tell your spouse. Struggle with it together. Confess it to your spouse. It will be the hardest thing that you ever do in your life, but it will be the best thing that you could ever do for fixing things in your relationship with your, in your relation, in your marriage. And spouse, do not condemn them. Do not feel insecure. Lust is sin. They have an issue with sin. You're not the issue. They're not lusting because they don't love you. They're not lusting because they don't want you. They're not lusting because they think that someone else is better than you. They're lusting because it's just sin. Don't condemn them. They confess their sin to you. Don't beat them over the head with it. If they confess their sin to you, listen to them. Struggle with them. Identify with them. Don't you have sin in your life that you would hope they would partner with you on? It might not be the area of lust in your life or the area of sexual sin, but you got another sin. And if you came and confessed it to them, don't you hope that they would not condemn you and love you and care for you? Lust is never love. Potiphar's wife did not love Joseph. She just wanted to have sex with him. She was just lusting. It's just lust. Don't be afraid when your husband or your wife comes to you and says, man, I struggle with the area of lust. Don't take it personal. Just realize it's just sin. And with the power of Jesus Christ and a unified marriage, you guys can struggle together and see victory in your life, just like I've seen in my life. The third thing, which I love, this is the one where you get to play a part, a big part. The third way to overcome sexual sin in your life today. The next time temptation comes, run! Run, 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 run! Genesis 39, 10 to 13. She kept pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. He kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by the cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. 
He ran away. He avoided her like the plague. He wanted to do nothing around her. One thing I've learned in my life is that sometimes, guys, there's certain things you got to stop doing. you got to stop walking that way home from work. you got to stop driving down that street that you know causes temptation. you got to stop staying up late or, and watching that thing. you got to stop positioning yourself to be around Potiphar's wife. Stay as far away from her as you can. If that means you can't watch certain movies, you can't watch certain movies. If that means you need to give your laptop to your wife or your husband, Give your laptop to your wife or your husband. If that means you can't go to that coffee shop, if that means you can't drive down that road, if that means you can't go to that club anymore, if that means you can't go to that gym or that, that workout place, you've got to make the necessary changes in your life to avoid Potiphar's wife. You've got to run. You've got to get away. The temptation's not going to go away. She persisted. She persisted. She persisted. And the strategy of the devil is to persist in your life. And you've got to make the shift and the change to say, I'm going to change my entire life just so I don't have to see Potiphar's wife. You've got to do the work. You've got to understand that. Look at this in Luke chapter 4, 13. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Who is being tempted here? Jesus. God. If Satan thinks he can tempt Jesus. Don't you think he can tempt you? And notice it says, the devil came back for another opportunity. If the devil's going to have another opportunity with Jesus, if he's going to strategize and try to trick Jesus again, if he's going to try to do it again and again, to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the 100% human, 100% God, perfectly sinless, don't you think that the devil is going to come after you in the same exact way? Way. But don't be discouraged. You have the capacity to conquer him. Joseph ran. Let's read, keep reading in our verse, Genesis 39, 11 and 12. One day, however, no one else was around when he went to do his work and she came and grabbed him by the cloak. Notice something very interesting here. Joseph lost his cloak for the second time in this journey. The first time, he lost his cloak because of his pride. He gave up his cloak because of his pride. This time, he gave up his cloak because he had authority that maybe, maybe God wanted to use this temptation opportunity. Even though God didn't tempt him, maybe God thought, okay, Joseph, I know you're going to be tempted. But if you understand something, that if you resist that temptation, you might lose some things in your life. You might lose some privileges in your life. You might lose the opportunity to go work out there or go to eat at that place or be with that person. You might lose that cloak, but I'm still going to push you forward in your destiny and in your purpose and in your lie. And you'll notice that Potiphar's wife went after Joseph when he was alone. This is the biggest way in which the enemy tempts us. He comes and he gets us when we're alone. I want to encourage you today to understand that that's when the enemy wants to tempt you the most. But you can run. Listen to this, James 4, 7. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. <laughs> A day will come when you don't have to run anymore. He's going to run from you. Look at this scripture. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Look at this. Run from sexual sin. This is Paul talking to the church. Run from sexual sin. Look it. Listen. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Paul says, listen, sexual sin impacts your body like no other sin. So you've got to run. Ryan, what do I run to? 
As we end our time together, I want to just identify for you a little bit what we run to. I love this scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Look at this. This should encourage you today. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. First thing, you might think you're here today and say, man, no one's experiencing the overwhelming temptation in the area of sexual sin like I am. Listen, you are just uh, in the back row of a large group. You're not even in the front row. You're not even, you're not even anywhere near the front of the, of the journey. There are people who are, uh, who are experiencing far more things than you are in your temptation. The point is this. It's not uncommon to man. You're not this isolated individual who only deals with this. I bet you if we had a little, a little meeting and I said, raise your hand today if you're dealing with this, I bet the, the room would raise their hand saying, yes, I deal with it. We would realize that we are not alone in this journey. This is not uncommon to man. Look what the verse says, and God is faithful. Look at this. You have to read this verse and understand it. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. See, Ryan, the temptation's too much. Well, no, it's not. You might feel like it is, but you need to understand, God's saying right here in this verse, the temptation that you're enduring right now, the area of sexual sin, and there any area of your life, really, you can overcome it. You can make it through it. It's a decision you have to make. Look what it says. But when you are tempted, when that next opportunity comes, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I want everyone for a minute to turn around and look at that exit sign right there, the red exit sign in the back. This is my analogy for you next time you're sitting alone at home or at a coffee shop or by yourself and the enemy starts tempting you, drops little thoughts in your mind and it came out of nowhere. You should go do this. You should go act like that. You should go talk to this person. You should text this. You should say that. You should be there. You should think this way. Those little, little random thoughts that come in your mind. Right when that temptation happens, look around the room and look for an exit sign. Literally look around the room and try to find a green, yellow, or red exit sign. And let that be a reminder that God always provides you a way out. Maybe a way out for you is turning the TV off and going to bed. Maybe a way for you is to no longer sit next to that person on the bus. Maybe the way for you is to say, you know what? I can't drink at this coffee shop anymore. I'm going to drink at the crappy coffee shop down the street. I'm going to go there just to make sure that I have every exit sign possible. God will always provide an exit sign for you. You have to be willing to take it. What you're bearing in your temptation is not too challenging for God. And he wants to provide a way out. When that comes, you got to muster up the strength and say, Holy Spirit, where's the exit? And he will show you. He'll show you exactly what it is. I want to read a couple more verses and then we'll end here today. Proverbs verse 7, 6 to 9. While I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the pathway of her house. It was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. This man was intentionally in the wrong place at the wrong time. He positioned himself and this woman came out. She solicited him. Oh, my husband's gone. I'm all, I'm all clean and I perfume on and smell my beautiful perfume and I've got beautiful sheets on my bed prepared for you. 
One of the biggest keys to your success in the area of sexual sin is to stop walking down that street. Just make a decision today. I'm not going to walk down that street anymore. I'm not going to stay up late anymore. I'm not going to text that anymore. I'm not going to go here anymore. You've got to make a decision today that that girl at work or that guy at work that you've been flirting with or that you've been looking at or that you've been lusting after or whatever experience you might be having on the way to, to work or wherever it might be, that you know what? I'm not going to walk down that path anymore. I'm going to make the shift in my life to make sure I'm surrounded by exit signs. This young man put himself in a position where there was no exit. He put himself in a position where he could not get himself out. And as we end today, I want to read some verses to help you understand that you have the ability to overcome the enemy. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Romans 8, 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and he will protect you from the evil one. Joseph uh, ran from Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife waited for her husband to get home. She screamed at the top of her lungs when he did and said, that Joseph, he tried to rape me. He came in the room and took advantage of me and tried to rape me, but I pushed him off and I grabbed his coat and he ran away. He was falsely accused because of his integrity. He was falsely accused because he responded well. He actually experienced a challenge in life that that, the the person of his his employer began to mistreat him and threw him in jail. And he was there in that jail for a long time. Listen, when you make a decision to stand up for purity and to stand up for righteousness and stand up for integrity, it's not going to be easy. That girl at work that you're hanging out with, she won't be very nice to you anymore when you choose not to be with her anymore. That person that you're looking at that you don't sit around anymore or that coffee shop you go to or whatever it might be in your life, whatever the situation you might face in your life, you might lose friends over it. You might lose uh, uh, certain things you love to do over making this decision. You're going to experience some accusation or maybe some misconduct. But listen, it's full on worth it because the scripture tells us that when Joseph was thrown into the jail, look in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. The same thing that happened to him in Potiphar's house. He got uh, uh, catapulted to the very top of the, uh, of the authority in that home, the moment he walked into the prison, God said, because you rejected uh, the, the, the temptation of sin, because you chose not to give your life to that, because you chose to run, because you chose to live a life of confession, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna prosper you. I'm gonna give you authority. I'm gonna give you blessing. I'm gonna bless your marriage. I'm gonna bless your finances. I'm gonna bless your relationships. I'm gonna bless your ministry. I'm gonna bless everything that you put your hands to because you made a decision to be a person of integrity and fight off and ward off the temptation and the strategies of the devil, of Potiphar's wife. You confess your sin to God. You confess your sin to each other or your spouse. And you run when that temptation comes. You watch. God will begin to bless you. God will begin to give you grace and mercy and he'll begin to speak to you like never before. You'll have fresh, fresh joy, freedom, victory in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray and then our friend Dalen's going to come and lead us in some worship today. Lord, I just pray right now, Father, Lord, for those in the room who are struggling in the area of purity. Lord, I will firstly want them to know, God, today that you recognize that, that you're not afraid of this. You don't stand with your hands covered or you don't stand with your eyes behind a veil, God. You see all things. 
And for those in the room today, God, who have been either struggling in a deep way, maybe it's addiction to pornography, or maybe they've been having an affair, or maybe they've been sleeping with someone outside of the context of marriage, or whatever it might be in their life, God, let them know today that a simple confession of, of, of repentance, of acknowledgement that, Lord, that this is great wickedness before you, that, Lord, you are so good and so faithful to forgive us and to set us free. God, I pray that they would give them the courage to share this, this journey with someone and part, be partnered with someone and be a part of a community that wants to see them progress in this area and that they would be a people of righteousness. Give them the strength that when this temptation comes again to stand up and say, I refuse. This is a great wickedness against God. And they would run, 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 run out of that area or that place. And as we respond today, God, I pray that your grace and your mercy would come and that your faithfulness and your love and your power would minister to us as we exalt the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship together this morning. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.